And kids are welcome to go downstairs to Kids Church. We have an opportunity to do something um, really significant right now, which is to listen, to be still and listen to what God says to us. And the way we're going to do that is by looking and listening at, uh, looking to um, Psalm 23 and listening to Psalm 23 and meditating on Psalm 23. Um, Psalm 23 is possibly the I mean, let's, let's face it, it is the most familiar passage in the Bible. Um, whether you've grown up reading the Bible or you've never read the Bible, you are familiar with Psalm 23. Um, it's absolutely true. It's incredibly familiar. But I think it's very possible to be very familiar with something, especially a, a part of the Bible. And at the same time, and even get some comfort from it, but at the same time not be gripped with the incredible truths about God's goodness in it. Um, it's, it's possibly familiar with it, but not be overtaken by it, which is what we should be, especially by this psalm. There is so much in here. Um, I was just thinking this morning, I was like, uh, we should really do a, you could easily do a whole sermon series on just Psalm 23, and it would last a while. Um, so we're going to cram a lot into a short amount of time today. But um, in order for us to digest it, maybe we'll do something a little different this morning. Instead of me just reading and you listening, I would love for us to read this together out loud. Um, so if you want to grab your uh, bulletin, your order of worship, and uh, find where it says sermon text, we're going to read that out loud together. And uh, we'll take our time as we read, and I encourage you to read it with feeling. And as you read it with feeling, think about whether you really mean it or not. Okay, so let's read this together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us. We pray that you would calm each and every one of our hearts, that you would help us to be still before you and before your word, before your spirit, and that you would work on us, that your spirit would work on our hearts, and that you would, um, that you would truly overtake us with the incredible truths of your goodness here, and that we would be changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Psalm 23 um, makes me concerned. Makes me concerned, maybe more than any other passage in the Bible. Um, and the reason is, it has to do with vaccines. 
Um, okay, you can correct me after the service, but my limited understanding of the way vaccines work, okay, is that they take a little bit of the disease or whatever, and, and then they manipulate it, and then they inject it into you um, a, a safe amount so that your body isn't overcome by it, but is able to fight it off. And, and, and the, the vaccine teaches your body to, to fight it off so that it, the, the disease, when you're exposed to it in the future, doesn't take a hold of you, right? Maybe, kind of, that's kind of what, the way it works. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, I, I think Psalm 23 has kind of worked as a vaccine for a lot of us because we've been exposed to Psalm 23 in small doses throughout our entire lives. You know, um, almost every funeral that we go to, we, we, we hear Psalm 23 read and we get some comfort from it. Don't get me wrong, for sure. It's comforting. Um, it's even, you know, when you're watching movies or TV shows or things like that, there are often references made to Psalm 23, maybe more than any other passage in the Bible. Um, I, I'm very confident if you go to Hobby Lobby, there is a big picture framed there with a green pasture and a lamb. And there's a caption that says, he will make me lie down in green pastures. And you can hang that on your, on your, on your uh, hallway wall, right? Um, we're exposed to Psalm 23 in all sorts of different ways throughout our lives. And, and they're just these little small doses to the point that um, even though we get some comfort from Psalm 23, we miss the radical goodness of God that is in like every single line of this psalm. Um, and, and it doesn't take a hold of, of us the way it should take a hold of us. It doesn't grip us. It doesn't grip our hearts the way that it should. David wrote this psalm, and, and the one thing that's apparent as you read this is that David is intimately, intensely aware of the goodness of God here, right? Um, he starts off, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord, the one who is, you know, we talked last week about the one who made the universe, the one who is bigger than all things. He is mine. He is my shepherd. And then as you go through the whole, the whole psalm, over and over again, there are all of these first-person singular pronouns, you know? He, he makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul over and over and over again. David is intensely familiar with God in his daily life. And it impacts everything for him. It impacts everything. And what I want to do this morning is kind of help us to think through, uh, is David's shepherd your shepherd? Is he yours? Can you read that first line and say it and really mean it? The Lord is my shepherd. As you live your life, how intimately aware are you of the goodness of God that is communicated here? And I want to I help us think through that by asking ourselves three questions. And the first question I want us to consider is this. Have you been welcomed? Have you been welcomed by God? Psalm 23 has two primary images of God's goodness. The first is of a shepherd and the second is of a host who welcomes people. And uh, I want to start with that one. We're going to come back to the shepherd idea, but I want to start with the host idea in verse 5. So if you look at verse 5, he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And so the image that David has in his mind is the fact that God has welcomed him in to sit down at the table with him and share a meal with him. God has set the table for him. God has invited him to a feast. And in in that culture, I've mentioned this before, if you haven't heard me say it, when, when you sit down in that culture, when you sat down at a meal with somebody, it actually communicated something very significant. It communicated that you were in a relationship with this person, that you were committed to to love this person, to accept this person. And so David is aware that God has welcomed David into relationship with him, to experience God's presence, right? When one commentator says, when God welcomes us as a guest, it's not just to visit, but it's to dwell with him forever. You know, the very last line, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David knows that he's been welcomed. He's been brought near to God. And, and, he, and he knows that God considers him special, significant, important. One of the lines, he says, you anoint my head with oil, right? And one of the customs at a feast would be when a guest came into a feast, to, to honor the guest, you would anoint them with oil. You would anoint their head with oil. And so David knows that not only has God welcomed him into his presence, into a relationship with him, to experience his love, but, he, but God loves him and considers him significant and important. And at the same time, I think David's also very aware that he doesn't deserve this. He doesn't deserve this, that he's only in God's presence, not because of what he has done, but because what God has done. The very first line says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Another custom of the day was when one army defeated another, occasionally the king would have a feast and he would bring in the conquered enemy, the, the prisoners, and, and they would feast in their presence, in their faces, in a sense, to let them know that they have triumphed to let them know that they have won the victory, right? And so when David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, I think David, uh, he, he's, he's not saying, God, you prepare a table. You, you've created a feast here because I have won the victory. No, he says, you prepare a table for me because I know that you've won the victory. You're the one who's arranging the feast. You've won the victory over all of my enemies. It's not me that has done it. It's you. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Also, the, the whole idea, like, I think when he says, you anoint my head with oil, I, I can't help but think that David writing this um, might not only be making a, a, a reference to the, the custom of the day, but when he says, you anoint my head with oil, how can he not have been thinking back to the one his, his head was anointed with oil by, by the prophet Samuel many, many years ago? And, and, uh, and Samuel anointed him as the future king of Israel. And if you think about that, and if you know anything about that situation, Samuel comes to, to David's home, and, um, and David is the youngest of all of his brothers, and, and, and Samuel says, I've come to anoint, you know, your son, Jesse, and, and Jesse starts bringing out his sons. To, he's like, okay, surely this is the one who is worthy, the oldest one, you know, or maybe this one, this one, this one. These are the guys that are worthy of being king, and eventually Samuel's like, no, it's none of these guys. Do you have any more? And Jesse's like, well, I, you know, there's David. He's out watching the sheep, the youngest. And, and they bring David in, finally, and Samuel anoints him. Can you imagine what David was thinking? He's like, me? Really? How can you anoint me? And so I think David is very aware of the fact that, he, that God has welcomed him, that he doesn't deserve it, that God is pouring out his grace upon him to say, I'm going to love you, David. 
The God of the universe, the one who has created all things, the one who sustains all things, the one who rules over all things, the one for whom everything exists, he says, I'm going to love you. I'm going to be with you. Can you imagine what that, ex- that experience ex- feels like for David? Have, have you experienced the welcoming grace of God? Have you experienced that? The greatest enemy each and every one of us faces is the enemy of our own sin. We might feel like there's a lot of things out to get us, but the the greatest enemy every single one of us faces is our own sin. The fact that we've all run from God, the fact that we all try to live our lives on our own terms, the fact that we'd rather not listen to God and only make up the rules for our lives according to our own terms. And and this this separates us from God. This earns us God's judgment. And ultimately, it earns us death. But that is why God sent his son, Jesus, into the world to rescue us, to pay for our sin by dying on the cross. God has won the victory for us. It is only through the victory of Jesus' death and his resurrection that we are brought into relationship with God, that we can experience God's love on a daily basis, on an intimate basis. It is only through the victory of Jesus that we come into his presence. We are not worthy. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced the welcoming grace of God? That the one who rules over everything wants you to know him and be with him and experience his all-satisfying love. This this last line of verse 5 says, my cup overflows, right? My cup overflows, And that communicates the idea that in the presence of God, there is abundance. We have more than we need. But more so than that, I think, you know, when we're talking about cups and feasts, we're probably, it's a a reference to wine, which is a a symbol of gladness and joy. And so when David meditates on the fact that he has been welcomed into the presence of God, he recognizes that that, in, in the presence of God, only in the presence of God, that's where the fullness of joy is really found. And it's an overflowing joy that comes from God's love and God's love alone. Now, when I ask you, you know, is this God your God? Can you say this line with feeling? Can you say this line and mean it? My cup overflows. Maybe some of you guys are having trouble right now saying my cup is overflowing. Are any of you guys having trouble saying that? My cup overflows. Maybe uh, life isn't going the way that you want it to be going, and it's hard to really feel like your cup is overflowing. Maybe you are facing painful challenges in your life right now, physically, relationally, and it's hard to, to believe that your cup is overflowing. Maybe you're facing things and challenges in your workplace, or maybe you're, you're, you've lost your job and, and it's hard to be like, yeah, my cup is really overflowing right now. Maybe you've lost somebody that's, that's dear to you, that's close to you. You've lost somebody that you love and it's really, really hard to believe that your cup is overflowing right now. I think the reason that a lot of us have a trouble really saying this line with feeling is because we are trying to fill our cups with the wrong thing. We try to fill our cups with all sorts of things, whether it's a relationship, whether it's the love or attention of a certain person, whether it's the happiness of our children, or maybe it's an achievement, uh, maybe it's a promotion, maybe it's a specific job. 
Maybe it's a success on a certain project at work. Maybe it's grades or a certain college you want to get into. Maybe it's an achievement on a sports team. You know, I, I, <laughs> uh, we, our, our kids are playing basketball right now, and, and uh, they've played like five games. The first two games they won, and everything was great. And then the next two games they lost. And uh, these are, you know, third and fourth graders. And, and they lost these games. And these games are like, it's, it's like just the shambles out there. Nobody has any clue what they're doing. <laughs> and so, but, but the game is over and, and our team loses. And there are several kids on our team that are like crying uncontrollably. It's really heartbreaking to watch, you know? But also it's like, kind of get a grip, kids. <laughs> this is like... Not the end of the world. I mean, it's, it's like the people who won really win by accident at this point anyways. <laughs> but, it, but this is what we try to fill our cups with. You know, this is what we try to fill our cups with. And, and all of those things are going to leave us desperately thirsty. They're going to leave, leave us face down on the side of the basketball court in tears. There's only one thing that will fill our cup to overflowing, and that is the love of God in Jesus Christ. Knowing that we, he has welcomed us into his presence. Knowing on a daily basis to being intimately aware of the fact that he loves me. And his love is more than I can even fathom. Have you been welcomed? Have you experienced that? Are you experiencing that? The second question I want to help us think about is, are you being led? And I want to bring us back to the first image of the shepherd. And this is what shepherds do. They take care of the sheep, right? The, the sheep's well-being is the primary concern of the shepherd. They want to make sure the sheep are safe. They want to make sure the sheep are nourished and healthy and, and, and at peace, Right? And uh, the very first line, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I mean, that's a convicting line if there ever was one. Can you say that and mean it? I mean, I think David, when he says, I shall not want, he doesn't mean that he gets everything that he could possibly want or desire in life. But what, he communicate, what he's communicating there is he knows that God is gonna take care of him. God is gonna give him every single thing that he needs for that day, for that season in life, God is going to meet his needs. I shall not want. But then there's these, these, these beautiful lines in verses two and three where it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. It's the job of the shepherd to make sure the sheep have a place where they are not running for their lives where they are full and nourished and where they're, where they're at, at peace and they're secure. And this line, he restores my soul. It's the, the shepherd's job to make sure the sheep can live and thrive. Is this God your God? Where are you getting your sense of peace as you live your life right now? Um, there's so much about life that is just tiring, isn't it? Um, life is, is it, it wears you out. 
if life isn't wearing you out, then let me know what your secret is. I mean, I, I, so often, Kim and I are saying to each other, oh, I'm so tired. You know, the responsibilities of everything, it's just, it's just hard. And, and the things that are hard make it even harder. And, uh, and it's just wearying. Life can be really wearying. And David points out, there's only one person who can sustain us in the midst of our weariness. There's only one person who can restore our life. And I, that's the question I want to ask you. You know, where are you getting your energy from to just get through today and the things that you're facing? Where are you getting your energy and, you know, a lot of us, you know, we, we, we get our energy by trying to t- we take a break, maybe, you know, binge something on Netflix or whatever, and we, we, we do things, things to try to relax us, you know, but, but there's only one person who can actually sustain us and help us to have what we need in order to do all that we need to do, and it's God. And the question, my question for you is, you know, does this mean something to you? God is the one who restores my soul. As I live my life, am I continually going to him to get the strength I need to face what I'm facing? Is he restoring your soul? Verse three says he's being led in paths of righteousness, the paths that are, that are right for him. I mean, there might be a moral quality to this, that, that David is being led in the right way of life, but also I think it's just kind of the, the, the right path, like the right way he needs to go. That's what he's saying. He's being led by God. Even though we need to recognize that sometimes God leads us through places that are scary. Verse verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, It it is really comforting to look at that verse by itself and be like, I know when when things are scary, when things are dark, I know that God is with me to take care of me. But, But we also need to recognize that in the verses prior to that, he's been talking about the God, that, that God as his shepherd has been leading him, right? And so if God has been leading him through the, uh, the green pastures and beside the still waters, it's also God who's been leading him in the valley of darkness. David is recognizing that, that, that darkness and death is a reality in life but that also that, that God as our shepherd is the one who is leading us through it. He, he's leading us through it for a purpose. Um, there, there was a, a common practice, you know, as, as shepherds took care of their sheep, they, they would take them from one pasture to another. Sometimes they would have to take them through what was called a wadi, which is like a dry riverbed at the bottom of a valley. And, and in those valleys, there would be all of these shadows that, that would cause the sheep to be afraid. You know, what's lurking in those shadows that could destroy them? But the shepherd knew what he was doing. The shepherd was leading him. The shepherd was protecting them. The shepherd was guiding them. Do you believe that God has a purpose for every single circumstance that you're dealing with right now? That not only is he the one that can restore you in the midst of it, but that he he is working in the midst of this, in the midst of this valley of the shadow of death that you might feel like you're in. That God is taking you through it for a purpose, for your well-being, to bring you to a place that is better for you. I know that not, life is very likely not what you envision it right now for pretty much every one of us. And I know that some of us are facing things that, that, 
we desperately would rather just go away or be solved. But we need to recognize that in the midst of those things, God has a purpose. In the midst of those things, God is with us. Do you believe that right now, that God is with you? The last question that I want to ask is this. How do you feel about being chased? Are you interested in being chased? And and I want to draw your attention to verse 6, where it says this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David is really confident in the fact that goodness and mercy, the goodness and mercy of God are going to follow him every single day of his life. Um, I think for a lot of us, we, we think uh, that, that God's goodness and mercy is following us a lot like um, my kids follow me to, to school in the morning. I often take our, our boys, I, I walk out across the yard with our boys and walk across the street to their school. And, uh, and, and it's, it's brutal because um, if, if I don't like get out the door, they don't come. If I don't walk across the grass, they don't come. They're, they're, it's just like I have to pull them along just by the sheer strength of my will because they're constantly getting sidetracked, they're constantly getting distracted, they're, they're walking out the door without their backpack, they're you know, picking up things and throwing them at each other. If, there's, if it's been cold and there's ice somewhere, they're gonna be trying to break it and pick up pieces of ice and eat it maybe, and, and, or, or if it's like slightly snowed, they're like gathering any kind of snow they can and throw snowballs at, the, at each other. I'm like, guys, come on, come on. Would you please? And I'm constantly, I get to where the, the, the crossing guard is, and I'm just like, guys, please, move it. And I'm constantly feeling like I've, I've got to wait for them. I've got to get their attention to come with me. And I think that's what maybe a lot of us think, uh, that, that's the way that a lot of us think that God's goodness and mercy follows us that way. <laughs> that I'm constantly waiting for it to catch up. Uh, that maybe he's distracted. Maybe the father and Jesus are like busy having a snowball fight and they're not paying attention to me. And I have to like get them, come on God, would you please, how long is it gonna take for your love to catch up? Um, But actually, it's a lot more like something else. The the word follow could actually be uh, translated pursue. And in some of your Bibles, if you have a different version, it might say, goodness and love shall pursue me all the days of my life. And, and it's more like this. I think, I'm pretty sure I've told this story before, so bear with me, but some of you guys probably haven't heard it. When I was in kindergarten, I, uh, I was walking home from school. I lived in Texas at the time. I was walking home from school, and there were these two girls that lived in my neighborhood. They were walking with me. And uh, they were, I would say that they were harassing me. Somebody else, an outside observer, would say that they were flirting with me. But they were both holding on to my arms, one on each side, and they were like pretending to kiss my arms, okay? And I I was like terrified. I was like, what are these girls doing? And the sad thing, I had a crush on one of them, but I was like, you know, if you don't stop, I'm going to flip you guys. That's what I told them. And they didn't let go. So I went like that, you know, and they both fell down on the ground. And... The poor girl that I had a crush on fell face first on the sidewalk and busted her lip. And so it's bleeding. And 
awkwardly, we're right across the street from her house. So she runs into her house, you know, crying. And I knew what I had to do. I ran. <laughs> I just ran for my life. I was like six blocks away from my house. And so I ran. And I got like one block down the street and I turn around and look over my shoulder and there's her mom running after me. And so I knew what I had to do. I had to run faster. So I, I, I kept running and I like got another block and another block and I kept turning around. She was there, you know, it was like the Terminator. Like she would not, I could not shake her. I couldn't shake her. She was like, she is going to catch me. She is going to catch me. Uh, that is the idea here. I got caught. I, I had to go back and apologize. But, but this is the thing. That, that's the idea here. But, but God's love and mercy and goodness is pursuing us, not to humiliate us or punish us, but to love us, to do good for us. He is pursuing us like the Terminator. And you will not shake him if you belong to him. You will not shake him. It's like the idea in, in Romans 8. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. And that's a good thing because we all tend to run. We all tend to run. I mean, that, that's why Jesus came. Every single human being in the world has run from God. And God sent his son into the world to chase us down and to die for us so that we could know his love, so that we could know his good work in our lives. That's good news. Is the, do, are you aware of this? As you wake up, you know, when, when somebody is chasing you, what do you think about at that time? Is you, are, you, are, you, are you like daydreaming about other things that you need to do or other things? You, you know, when somebody is chasing you, I don't care what scenario it is, whether you're playing tag or, you know, you're running from your life from some, you know, some person who's trying to harm you. When somebody's chasing you, the only thing you can think about is this person chasing you, this situation, right? And so if you wake up every morning with the awareness that God is pursuing you with his goodness and his love, isn't that going to completely impact the way that you look at your entire day? and your entire life. It's gonna become the filter through which you look at everything. God's chasing me with his goodness. And so the question is, the same question as, as, as was at the beginning, you know, is, is David's God your God? You know, have these truths about who God is and how good he is, have you, have you been gripped by these things? Or is this just a nice psalm? I plead with you this week, maybe just every day this week, just take one line from this psalm and read it and think about it through the day. You know? Just start, start tomorrow. Start, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Think about what does that mean for me? Do I believe it? 
Am I going to trust him? Right? Is David's God your God? And, and it all hinges on your response to Jesus. If, if, if you aren't experiencing what David experienced here, there's not some massive hurdle to jump over, some huge barrier to get through to experience this. You realize this. It all depends on how you respond to Jesus. It all depends on how, how you respond to Jesus. The one who we read earlier said, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. That's how much he loves you. And, and in, the, in the couple of verses right after the passage we read earlier, he says, my own sheep know my voice. They hear my voice. And I'm telling you right now, as we read Psalm 23, as I'm speaking now, Jesus is saying to you, listen, trust me. Find in my love for you everything that will sustain you. A cup that will overflow with gladness. And so I urge you to think about this today. Um, have you experienced the welcoming grace of God? Do you really believe that he is leading you today, this week? Do you believe that he is pursuing you with his goodness? Do you believe that? Let's pray. Father, we, we, we need your spirit to work a miracle in our hearts. I, I recognize that for myself, that, that, that I don't think I'm close to, to being able to say the words of Psalm 23 and mean them like David meant them. Father, we pray that your spirit would work in, in our hearts to open our eyes to the, to the greatness of Jesus and his love, to the greatness of the fact that you are a good shepherd and your love is unstoppable in my life. Father, we pray that you would help us to believe it and live differently because of it. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We now have an opportunity to...